good morning, church, and welcome to our neighbors. I'm glad to be together with you. If we haven't met yet or it's been a minute, my name is Michael. Um, we started last week a, a series that we called Work and Rest, and I asked, what does rest look like for you? When you, when you, when you think about a time, uh, when you think about a time where you actually are like truly at peace or truly restful, what comes to mind? And through the course of our conversation, we talked about a group of people in the past who really, they thought of rest as home ownership. They, they, were, they had grown up as slaves, not really owning much property and certainly not being able to own their own homes. Um, being forced into labor to do work for other people. And so when they were set free, they thought, man, rest is going to look like having a place uh, to go, having a place that's our own and belonging. And, and um, as they ventured towards that, as they got to the doorstep, we discovered that they, they, <laughs> they decided not to go in. They walked up to the door of the house and they said, yeah, I don't think that God's able to actually deliver on his promises. Um, and so if I don't, I don't often like say this, I think if this is the first time you're joining us that our message today is going to make sense. Um, but uh, I would say that probably reviewing our message from last week is going to be helpful to you. Um, I'm not going to re-preach the whole thing this morning. Um, but they do kind of build on one another as we go, as we go forward. Um, and, and so when I, when I mention that question, perhaps if you're not familiar with the, the, the Bible story or the story of the Bible, you're like, well, that sounds like, you know, um, maybe some has-been stories for some historical Jews. Th- those are stories of things that used to happen and maybe aren't happening today. Like, where do I fit into that? I'm not, not Jewish. I'm not uh, Israelite. I'm not, you know, walking through the deserts of, of Moab, like this is not, that's not the life I live. Like, what, is it, what does it look like for me today? And in fact, the author uh, of the letter that we've been looking at, the book of Hebrews, the author anticipated that that would be your objection. And so this morning, he's going to address your concern that these are uh, has-been stories for historical Jews. So I would like to invite you, if you would, with me, turn to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews in chapter 4. Navigate there. Um, I'm, it's on page 1245 in the Blue Bibles. If you'd like to follow along in those Blue Bibles, it's exactly what I'm using because their text is big enough to read from space. <clears throat> um, and if, you, if you'd like that and you'd like to take one home, then... Put your name in it and take it home. It's our gift to you. I'm glad to be able to to put the word of God in your hands and in your possession. So Hebrews chapter 4, we're we're passing books out. Well, we can wait. We're not in a rush. Page number is 1245 in the Blue Bibles. 1245. This morning is going to be a morning that's going to be helpful for you to follow along with um, because the text is out of order and I'm going to try and, and put it into a order that helps us to grasp it. Um, so it might, be, it might be helpful. And typically I'll read just a couple of verses. This morning as we begin, I'm going to read 10 verses. And it's going to seem like I've got no, like it's going to seem like we're going here and there and everywhere. And I'm, I'm giving you the whole so that then we can look at the parts together, Okay. So Hebrews chapter 4, I'm going to begin in verse 1, and I'll read through verse 10. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear 
lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For he, so for he, for we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So, we'll pause there. Does anybody feel like that was perfectly clear right first time through? All right, you guys got it. I, it took me some work. I, I had to think about and chew on this a bit. Um, he starts off with, therefore, which is usually an indicator that you're starting in the middle of a conversation. So, yes, that's true. As we talked about last week, he's giving an example of an ancient group of people who had been brought to, as I said, the doorstep of the promised rest and then chose not to go in. They chose not to go in. And he says here in these verses um, that it was because of their unbelief. Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Is that? No. But verse 2. For the good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So they chose not to have faith. They chose not to believe that God was able to deliver on his promises and so they, they opted out. Now, here's the thing. This is, this is bonkers to me. Do you ever feel like if I lived in the Bible times and saw the things the Bible people saw, that like I would have a lot easier time walking with God? Does that make sense? Okay. So these people in particular are a little bit frustrating to me, and I'm a little bit terrified at how my own heart identifies with them. <clears throat> because they were people who'd grown up as slaves, they had been slaves, their parents had been slaves, their grandparents had been slaves, their great-grandparents had been slaves, their great-great-grandparents had been slaves. And so slavery was all they knew. And then God sends this guy named Moses, and he's going to deliver them out of slavery. And the way that they are delivered out of slavery is a really brilliant story. It's in the first chapters of Exodus. Um, and the, one, the, the conclusion of like their final deliverance, it starts off with their, their oppressors, the people who are, who are owning them, say, you need to throw your male children into the water. Like you need, you need to kill your babies, throw them into the water so that we can eliminate you. And it ends with the people, the chosen people, walking through a massive body of water on dry land. So they saw, they saw God open up a sea, and they walked through on dry land. And as they walked through, they turned around and saw their oppressors coming in after them. And the ones who told them they had to kill their children 
were killed by water. It's, it's brilliant. They were, the, the, the strength of the Egyptians was covered back over and destroyed by water. So I feel like if I'm watching those waves close in like behind me, I'm like, oh, that could have been me. Like maybe I would pay attention when God had something to say to me, right? But these are the people who get up to the promised land and they look at a mighty people, a strong people, a people that look like they're militarily stronger than them and they say, you know what? I don't know that God can handle that. And I'd be frustrated with them if I didn't do the same thing. <laughs> How many times have I like known that God was able to take care of me, even with something small? And I'm still like, oh God, let me help you with that. Let me, oh, let me, oh, don't, no. Right? So these people had done the same thing. They said, God, look at those people. They're so strong. They're so mighty. If we go in there, they'll eat our children. And God says, listen. <laughs> Let me, no, okay, here's the deal. You're not going in. You're not gonna go to this thing. I'm gonna take your kids in. You're afraid that your kids are gonna get eaten. I'm gonna wander you guys around in the wilderness for 40 years and y'all are all gonna die and then I'll take your kids in. Like, that's the plan now. So they were on the doorstep of, of, of receiving what God had promised to them and they turned around and walked away. <clears throat> so he takes this and says they had a promise of rest. They had a promise of going to a place where they could belong and they rejected it. They didn't get to enter it. Now, the argument, the argument that he makes is based on the quotations from Scripture in the chronological order that they show up in. So uh, I've got a line here, and I'm going to use this line to symbolize the, the, the arch of human history, okay? So that's all of human history in one line. Aren't you impressed? <clears throat> um, and it's, it's not drawn to scale, but you've got an arrow, so it could be whatever I want it to be, all right? So the first thing he says is, uh, they shall not enter. This is, this is from Numbers 14, which is where this story takes place, where they come up to the doorstep of the promised land and they don't go in. And God says, if you won't go in, you will not go in. I'm not going to provide a way around for you. I'm going to kill you in the, in the desert and I'll take your kids in. They shall not go in. That's around 1440 BC, okay? Then he says, they shall not enter. Uh, you, can you see a line? That's really hard to see. You see that line? Okay, you see where it is. It's not drawn to scale, but the lines are actually going to help you put it in order. Um, then, so that's the first thing. Then he said, oh, I, I flipped the wrong page. Uh, As I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. So he, he goes back to the beginning of time and says that God rested. So God built into creation a, a, a Sabbath rest. We were supposed to work for six days and rest for seventh, uh, the seventh day. Because that's the model that God set for us. God, God was not tired. <laughs> God did not get to the end of creation and go, man, those stars were just a lot to kind of generate out of nothing. Like, I'm tired. I need a break. Let me get a breather over here. Like, that's not what he's doing. Like, if you can make stars and just kind of speak physics into existence, then I don't think you, like, need to take a break. But he kept the timer running. So he's, he started day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. He kept the timer running, but didn't do anything. Not for him, but for us. He could have said, day six, finish, start over. 
But he, he kept the timer running, gave us a seventh day, and, and wanted that. So he's referencing God rested, and then he says in Numbers 14, they're not going to enter my rest. So there's some kind of a, a delineation between uh, the, the rest and the peace of creation that the Israelites, as they went into the promised land, were supposed to experience in a new way. And I could get into the, I'm, I'm trying real hard to stay out of the weeds. <clears throat> All right, are we, that, are we there? Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it. Okay, here's, here's where you're like, okay, well, that's all has-been stories for historical Jews. But he says in verse 6, since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it. He says we're not talking about something in the historical past. We're talking about something that's available to us today. And you're like, well, what? why would you make that case? He says because David said, in Psalm 95, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So God rested at the beginning, but they shall not enter the rest. But then uh, around 1000 BC, King David writes Psalm 95. And as he's writing Psalm 95, he uses that example and says, today in 1000 BC, if you hear a conviction of the Lord, then don't harden your hearts. Respond to him. If he says that you need to walk in faith into what he's promised, then you should just walk in there because God's able to do what he said he was going to do. Right? Then he goes back a little bit, which is where we start to get out of order. Um, in verse 8, For if Joshua had been able to give them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So, Numbers 14, that generation did not go into the land, but their children did. And they went in, but they kind of only stayed in the foyer. <laughs> um, they took over the foyer and a couple of bedrooms, but they did not take the whole house that God had promised for them. So Joshua brought them into the house. They crossed the threshold. They got the foyer. They got a couple of bedrooms and some hallways that connected it. But it wasn't like they occupied the whole land. They, they just kind of settled in with the people who were already living there, which ended up being a problem because then they didn't walk with God. <clears throat> now Joshua was the leader that came up after uh, Moses. And Joshua did not give them rest. Although they had a place to belong, they never stopped fighting. Joshua failed. How do I know that? The book of Judges exists. And I don't know if you've ever studied the book of Judges. It's, it's fascinating and it's heart-wrenching. It's, it's terrible stories after terrible stories. If you think the Bible's boring, you have not read the book of Judges. But it opens with Joshua's failure. Joshua did the best he could in the days he had and the, and the elders that were with him. But as soon as they died, everybody forgot how to walk with God. They're like, Yahweh who? We're going to use God language. So we're going to say, I'm going to, set up a, I'm going to set up a place to worship God in my own house, but I'm going to use stolen silver and gold to make idols so that I can worship Yahweh in my own house. You're like that's, like, that's exactly the opposite of what he said. He said, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall make no graven images. Like you, have any, you don't even remember the beginning of the thing. And that's the book of Judges. So if Joshua had been able to give them rest, then they would have, uh, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So since Joshua and Judges existed, and King David in some senses was a, was a reconciliation of the failures of the people in Judges, he then writes, today in 1000 BC, you shouldn't harden your hearts. Right? So are, are, we, are we seeing? This is a little bit technical. I'm hoping this is helping a bit. 
So then, verse 9, here we are, here we are. Verse 9, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. If you need a new tattoo, like that might be it. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Today, the author of Hebrews says, for, for the people he's writing to today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Around 65 AD, he says, hey, today, guys, today, we look at that, and it's not a has-been story. It shows us that the God who's outside of time is still trying to invite us into rest, and we need to go with him. I did put this picture of the final slide into the sermon notes app, so that's in there too. So I, I see some snapping. It's okay. Then, by, for us then, we're going to go up here by the arrow. Then today, in 2023, it is available to us that we can enter into God's rest. We also are on the doorstep. And the encouragement for us today is then enter into the rest. He says in, in verse 1, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands still stands. Let us fear, lest any of, us, any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For the good news was proclaimed to them, that original generation was proclaimed to them uh, and came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them. They had information, but it didn't benefit them because they were not united by faith. They didn't believe with those who listened. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So what is the rest from? I heard it. Give it to me loud. What is, what is the rest from? His works. Anyone who has rested has rested from his works the same way God rested from his. So what is the thing that, that we're resting from? We're resting from our earning God's favor. We're resting from the work that starts and ends with me. We're resting from the pull yourself up by the, your bootstraps, suck it up, buttercup, like just get to work and do what's right or else. We're, we're, we're resting from the idea that I have to have my whole life cleaned up before God's even going to look in my direction, much less listen to any of my prayers. But there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So then... We must purposefully trust Jesus if we want his rest. We must purposefully trust Jesus if we want his rest. Where, where, where do we land? <laughs> we land on trust, faith, and faith in Jesus. But not faith in Jesus because Michael says it's a good idea. Faith in Jesus because that's my purpose. I'm purposefully going to build my life 
knowing that there's nothing that I can do to make God love me more, and there's nothing that I could neglect to do that would make God love me less. There's nothing that I could neglect to do that would make God love me more. There's no, like, it's not if I quit smoking, drinking, chewing, and dating girls that do, then God's going to like me better, and there's no, like, I'm going to have the perfect church attendance, and now I'm on God's right side. It's like, no, I have to purposefully build my life on the fact that Jesus paid it all, And there's no work left for me. There's nothing left to suffer if Christ has suffered. We must purposefully trust Jesus if we want his rest. Let's keep reading here in Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, let us therefore. (laughs) If you thought we were landed, you got some more work to do. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. He says, listen, there's nowhere to hide. You can probably put on a good front on social media and convince some people that you're a good person. You might be able to convince your coworkers like that everything's cool and kosher. <clears throat> if, you're, if you're real, real sneaky, you can probably convince your family that you've got it all together. But when we lay down at night and we're trying to sleep, the thoughts that continue to run through our head, the, the, the ways that we uh, hold ourselves to a certain standard, the ways that uh, we know that we don't measure up, even to the thing that we, perf- that we would rather be, God says, oh, I'm right there. I'm, in, I'm, not, I'm not only in your activity, I'm in your mind. I, I can read your thoughts. Not only can I read your thoughts, which is kind of mind-blowing, he says, I can read your heart which for me is really upsetting because I can't even do that. I know what I'm thinking, but oftentimes I have no idea what the motivation is behind my thought. I'm like, I'm doing stuff or I'm feeling things, but I don't know why I'm feeling this way. This is a thing. And God's like, yeah, I not only know the thing you're thinking, I not only know the thing you're feeling, but I know why it is that you're feeling that way. And I know what the problem is and I can fix it if you would just sit down. There's nowhere to hide because the word cuts both ways. A two-edged sword means it cuts both ways. If, if I think that um, I have, have done too much, and I've done too much bad stuff, then, then, then the word of God cuts through that and says, no, 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 like Jesus is the answer. If I think that I have done enough to earn God's favor, then the word cuts that way and says, yeah, you're, you're really a wretch. Like you have no idea how bad you are. And there's nowhere to hide. Now, here's, here's, here's an idea. Because I've always read this as the word of the God being Scripture. And I think that that's true. But, but there's something that's happening in these verses that makes me pause for a moment. For the word of God is living and active. So it's, it's alive. Piercing the division of the soul and spirit of joints and marrow. And discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. 
talking about the word, which to me is not, is a thing, not a person, and he says it's living, and no one's hidden from his sight. And so perhaps the sword that we're looking at is not the book, but maybe it's the person of Jesus. There's nowhere to hide because he's there discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, dividing the bone and marrow. He's able to split hairs where we just kind of, I don't know, it's good enough, right? There's nowhere to hide. So we must purposefully trust Jesus if we want his rest. Now, perhaps you have had a question this whole time. What do I mean when I say rest? Because <laughs> when you asked me and I pictured rest, it mostly just looked like a nap. Or it mostly just looked like a couple of quiet minutes where the kids aren't like on top of me all the time, right? Is that, is that what we're looking at? Is that, is that the rest that we're going for? Particularly, and this, I'm not going to be, here's it, all right, spoiler alert, I can't, I can't tell you. Like, I cannot give it to you this morning. I can tell you what it is, I can point to it, but the fact is, it's something that you can only receive from him. Let us, therefore, strive to enter that rest. There's a labor involved. There's a work involved with the rest. There's something in uh, discerning thoughts and intentions of the heart and turning those things over to trust that is our work. And it doesn't happen on a Sunday morning. It often is going to happen throughout the week. And it's not going to happen one time, one and done, where we can walk away. But I think it ends up being a whole stinking lifestyle. So if you were under the impression you could come in and get a little bit of Jesus and that would fix everything, like, I don't think that he wants that. I think he wants to, like, move into the, the, the house of your heart and just start rearranging furniture and remodeling and doing, like, he wants to reorganize everything about who you are, take all of your desires and replace them with the one desire, which is to please him. So what is rest? <laughs> rest is surrendering to that renovation with the confident hope that I've got a place to belong. Not, not a place that I will belong one day, but a place that I already belong. I am already part of what God is doing. I've already been brought in by Jesus. Like, I'm part of that family. And so I'm going to surrender to his renovation, surrender to his uh, chopping up and hacking and relocating and renovating. I'm going to surrender to that knowing confidently I've got a place to belong. Because I've heard the story of a people who were not surrendered to the renovation because they didn't trust that God could finish it. And so I'm going to take a step back and be like, hey, maybe I should look at what's going on in me. Now that sounds like a good place to live out of, doesn't it? I don't, I don't have to earn it. I'm not constantly trying to prove myself. I'm not, I don't have to defend my identity from anybody else. I'm not on the war path to try and make sure that everybody knows how great I am. I just, I have a place to belong and I'm surrendered to the renovation that's going to be finished. Is it available? 
the way the author of Hebrews says, we're on the doorstep. In the same way that the, the people were standing on the edge of a river looking over into a land and they were terrified, the author describes us as also being on the doorstep. There's a sense in which this peace, I think, can be acquired here. But it's not completed here. So how do we go in? If we're on the doorstep, how do we go in? Well, he uses the word faith, and I have tried to use the word trust. I just trust. Like I, don't, I don't understand all the details of how it works, but I trust that God is able to finish what he started. I don't understand the exchange. I don't understand how God can punish somebody who's perfect and sinless on behalf of me who is, who is definitely not perfect and certainly not sinless. Like, I don't understand how that exchange can, make play, can be, take place and be called righteous and just. But if you're telling me that it happened, I don't have to understand to say I, I, I trust it. And there's a part of me that says I'm not even quite sure that that's good. It seems a little bit unfair. But I don't have a better option. I can either tell God that he's unfair and unjust and that he's not good and walk away. Like, that over here is not any better than over there going, I don't quite understand the details of it, but I trust it. I don't have the perspective to see how this plays out across the whole cosmos. But I trust that God means good for me and my soul. And that I have a place to belong. And if I have a place to belong, then I can surrender to the renovation because I'm not, I'm not trying to be anything I already am. What doubts keep us from trusting Jesus? Now, I don't think that doubt is contrary to faith. I actually think doubt is an evidence of faith. So if you're a person who's like, I have a ton of doubts, I'm not quite sure, like I would say that you're actually on the right track. However, under, like you need to acknowledge that they're doubts and name them, and then actively work through what they look like. The problem is we sometimes go like, I've got some doubts, and so I'm just going to sit over here in my doubts, and, and until my doubts go away, then I'm just going to just stay over here. And then we're surprised that like our doubts are never reconciled. We never look past them. We never try to see if there's something that we don't see. We don't ever step outside and ask for somebody else's perspective or, or even take seriously that maybe the creator of the universe knows how it's supposed to work. I don't think that doubts are wrong. I think the problem is we get stuck in them. But if I have doubts... Um, they're probably all in the back row. There's some of these chairs that the bottom has fallen out. And I have doubts about their structural integrity. But nobody thought about that this morning when you sat down. You took it on my faith that the chairs were going to work. And sometimes we need that kind of community. Sometimes we need that kind of community that can see, like, I have some concerns about that, but I trust that it's going to work and so I'm just going to roll with it. 
I'm reminded of Mark chapter 2 where uh, a guy is brought to Jesus by his four friends. And Jesus looks at him and says, because of, or, and when Jesus saw their faith, not when Jesus saw the, the sick guy's faith, when Jesus saw their faith, then he turned and said, your sins are forgiven. There's, there's times where we need to do this together. So what are the doubts that are keeping us from trusting in Jesus? And can we verbalize those and bring those to people and ask for some more perspective? Because the doubts are not a sign that you don't have faith. The doubts are, are the sign that you're testing your faith. If it, act, if it didn't matter to you, if you had it all squared away, then you wouldn't think about it. Now, if faith is burdensome, it isn't Jesus. Like, if, as I'm talking through that, you're like, oh man, I just feel so overwhelmed. I got so many thoughts. I just have so many doubts. And, or, or like, you're telling me something that sounds really good, but it's Sunday morning. I took a shower today. I took some deep breaths with Carlos. Like, I feel good, and so I'm okay with accepting that. But man, I know that by Thursday, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be walking away from this. I'm, it's not going to be for, in my mind. If, if I'm going to be burdened by the desire to try to earn God's favor, or I'm going to be burdened by the fact that, there's, that I don't measure up to what Jesus wants me to do. If your faith is burdensome, it isn't in Jesus. We read together from Matthew chapter 11, and it's a fascinating chapter in its context. Jesus has been preaching. He sends out his disciples, um, and they come back, and they've got a question because it seems like John the Baptist is more popular than Jesus at the time. They're like, hey, Jesus, we've been following you, but it seems like that guy's getting more followers than you, and, and, and it, there's not as many people that are coming to our rally, and are you sure that we're on the right track because you're, you're teaching about, like, some weird stuff and, and people are leaving and, and so like are you really who you say you are and that's the context where he says oh he says oh are you weary and heavy laden then come to me and i will give you rest if you have those doubts or those questions then come to me and i will give you rest take your doubts to the one who can give you rest we must purposefully trust jesus if we want his rest but it's a choice. What burdens are we insisting that we carry for Jesus? He says, hey, you should, you should let that go. Oh, I don't know. Like, I'm not sure that you are going to fix it. And if I carry it with me, then I can probably make something happen. Okay. What burdens are we insisting that we carry for Jesus? Now, I don't, I don't know if I've completely wandered off the rails, but all of this is related to chapter 3. And one of the things that we talked about in chapter 3 was this weird relationship between our habits, the things that we do, uh, the hardness or softness of our hearts. That should say hearts, not hardness, I'm sorry. Our habits, our heart, which is our motivations and the reasons why we want to do things, and our heeding, the voices that we give the most airtime in our head. What are we listening to? What are we doing habitually? And what is going on in our hearts? What are we motivated to do? There's some, there's some relationship in the, in the midst of these things. We talked about it last week. If that's new, I'd encourage you to listen to that. <clears throat> I am inclined to think that I'm pretty smart or I'm smart enough to figure out how to live my life. I'm inclined to think that if I know something, then I'm going to do it. Here's the problem. I do a lot of things I know are bad for me. 
And so let me say, you are not your brain. And your brain is not able to overpower your habits most of the time. And so there are times where Jesus will give us an instruction of something to do, and we say, well, I don't really want to do that. That doesn't make sense. And he's like, yeah, but you won't learn it until you do it. Like, have you prayed about it? Well, why would I pray about it? Nothing's going to happen. It's like, well, maybe the prayer has nothing to do with what God's willing to do, but maybe it has something to do with what your heart is willing to accept. I woke up this morning distracted, could not keep a thought straight, and I just kept trying to repeat the disciples' prayer over and over again, not because I thought that God needed it, but because I knew that my brain was on the wrong track and I needed to shift it over to his. It was repetitive, not because I thought that God wasn't listening, but because my brain wasn't where it needed to be to interact with him. And have you ever walked in on, uh, into a conversation with your spouse or somebody that you care about and you're halfway through the conversation before you realize that your head's not in the right place to have this conversation? And so what would it look like if, if we submitted our habits to Jesus and we just started to do things before we understood them all the way? We said, you know what, I am going to commit to praying or I am going to commit to fasting. I don't know what good it's going to do but maybe there's something that I can learn in the doing that I won't learn in the knowing. Because there's some kooky relationship between the softness of our heart and the voices that we listen to and the habits that we have. And I don't know which comes first, but I know they're all related. And so if you're like, I, I'm, I'm, suff- I'm, I'm motivated, I have a soft heart towards God, I'm motivated, I want to walk in his ways... Um, and I'm trying to hear his voice, but his voice isn't coming clearer, then I'm saying, hey, what are the habits? What are the things that you're doing on a regular basis? And that's the strength of, of, of a worship celebration. It's not because I've got something brilliant to say every week, because I don't. I mean, I try to give you the word because I'm sure that there's something in there that'll be helpful, but it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not that you're going to learn something new, but you're in the habit of being with people who are of the same mind. Will we obey in order to understand? There, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience will we obey in order to understand because we must purposefully trust jesus if we want his rest let's pray together lord i thank you for your word i thank you for um for teaching and i thank you for uh i thank you for being patient with us as we try to grasp your message Lord, you've been, you've been saying it from the beginning. You built rest into creation, and we still think we know better than you. So, Lord, I lean on your forgiveness. Lord, I ask Jesus that you would forgive us um, and that you would help us to walk in confidence that you have a place for us to belong with you. And I pray that you would help us to surrender, not only in our minds, not only in our hearts, but also in, in our habits and how we live. And, Lord, I pray uh, that... If- I pray that if there's anybody who is far from you, who is, who is wrestling heavy with you, who is resisting you in your work, God, I just pray that you would show yourself gentle and kind to them. Lord, that you'd come alongside them, that you'd meet them in their doubts, and that you'd continue to walk with them through all of those things. Lord, I pray that you'd give them the faith to not just sit down there.
but to keep pressing on. And Lord, as, they, as you give them that faith, would you give them that strength and that endurance? Would you surround them with other people who are going to run the race with them? Would you encourage us? Because we've got nothing without you. We thank you. We thank you that your rest is still available. So would you take us there? It's in your name that we pray. Amen.